Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a, testimony, as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely, you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and does not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Our Lord, we bow before you. We stretch out open hands to you. We open our hearts to you, our souls to you, our minds to you, and ask that you would, just as reflected in this passage in Isaiah 55. Be the one to whom we cry out, but in our crying out to you, which is what we're doing right now, you will more than supply what we need and desire. That you will be with us in this time together to shepherd us into a deeper, clearer understanding of you, both 
for our minds and our hearts that we may, by the help of your Holy Spirit, reach out and embrace the reality of what you will be saying to us about yourself and your ways as you are our good, good, good shepherd. Be the one shepherding us in this time together, we ask. All to your praise and glory. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We are turning to what is but should not be a passage that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. We should not be uncomfortable. Let me tell you a fact about you, a fact about me, that the Bible declares repeatedly, 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 we are dead in trespasses and sins. That is a statement about our trespasses, our sins, left to ourselves, we have no hope. We are walking carcasses before the God of life and light. But not only in our legal status are we that before God, left to ourselves with our fallen nature, we are dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins. I can walk out to the cemetery, folks. I can stand in front of a tomb. Now, this may be a measure of my lack of faith, but folks, I've never raised anybody from the dead. I will bet nobody else here has ever raised any. Have you ever raised anybody from the dead? No. Okay. Our God, every one of us in this room who has an authentic relationship, a welcome relationship with the God who is the God of creation, is a story, an account of resurrection. Moral resurrection in the sense that what we could not do left to ourselves as fallen sinners, if we didn't have a Redeemer, there was no way we could be redeemed. If we didn't have a Redeemer, there was no way we could leave the status of being, being before the Holy God as a condemned race of people there's no way we could address that problem. Also, in our nature, we are dead. We cannot hear the voice of the Redeemer calling us forth from our deadness left to our... No, He gives us the hearing, the ears to hear. He gives us the ears to hear. He gives us the eyes to see. It is all a gift from Him from the beginning. And when did it start? It started in eternity past. Before God even created the universe. Before He created all of the stars and planets, etc. Before He created angels. We were in His mind. He isn't doing things as it occurs to him through the... No. He had it all planned from the beginning. And the this is my personal opinion. It's not just mine. Why did God create at all? This is the triune God. 
he wasn't lonely. He had perfect fellowship within himself. Why did God create the physical universe? Why did he create angels? Why did he create the human race? In order to create an audience, in order to create beings with whom he could have authentic fellowship and disclose the full reality of himself to angels and to the human race. And the most shocking reality about that creator God is not his ability to create the physical universe, is not his ability to create angels, is not his ability to... The most shocking things that draws our attention, the attention of the angels as well as us, is his love, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his attentiveness. That word Hebrew word chesed, that in our King James Version is translated loving kindness, has the idea of loving loyalty. Sometimes it's translated loyal love, but also I think it's better. It's the loyalty that is the focus, but his loyalty is loving loyalty. How loyal am I to my God? We're not going there, folks. How loyal is he to me? That's where we're going. Because we can focus on that and be, be nothing but strengthened, fed, energized when we come to a deeper, greater understanding of his love for us. In both the Old and New Testament, what is the principal focus spoken to fallen human beings about the God who is the creator God? He is the redeemer. Job. 1925, I know that my Redeemer lives and shall stand on the earth. And though after my flesh worms destroy this body, still from within my own flesh I will see. My own eyes will see him. He is the one who incited the sacrificial system. When we think about the massive, massive number, millions of animals in the history of Israel, to say nothing of outside that, that were sacrificed in order to address in a very temporary way, very temporary way, the reality of our sinfulness before God. And yet, what does John the Baptist say of Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God the Father sacrificed His Son. Not some sheep out of the flock. He sacrificed His Son. God so loved the world that He gave. He sacrificed His only begotten Son, the heir of all things, that whoever believes in Him, what is the role I am asked to play in bringing me in? You, I, I, God, declare to you this truth. You simply say, please may I have the benefit. That's your sole role. But by the way, you can't and won't do that. Left to yourself. 
That's a big part of what is stated here in Romans chapter 9. What, is, what issue is the, is the Apostle Paul addressing in this letter to the Romans about this whole gospel enterprise in the Roman world? Why in the world has the nation of Israel, the Jewish people as a whole, not stepped forward and embraced Messiah? And what will Paul say? Because God has not chosen it to be that way. And oh, by the way, that's not a surprise. When did Israel, as a nation, ever step forward and embrace the redemptive work promised to them, carried out by them in sacrificial system as a format for telling them what was to come? When did they ever step forward and joyfully, gleefully take part in that? Almost never. Generation after generation after generation of Jewish people rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. Now, there were obvious exceptions. But the standard mode of conduct of the nation of Israel was rebellion after rebellion after rebellion, worshiping the idols on the mountaintops and hilltops. Constantly, the eras when they walked in loyalty to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were extremely rare and short. And short. So what Paul is going to lay before the Romans here in this letter isn't a surprise. Let me tell you what should hearten us is why are you in the kingdom? If you are authentically in the kingdom, why are you there? You're there? Because God stood before, Jesus stood before your tomb and called you forth. He gave you ears to hear. He gave you eyes to see. He, he incentivized you. He caused you to be born. John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He caused Nicodemus. He caused you to hear to be born from above. It was heaven's initiative. That's why you're in the kingdom. We can be so grateful. It was heaven's initiative. He is our redeemer. He is our rescuer. He is our savior. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit I'm saying this with authentic integrity. I know of nothing in me that would say I'm really not fully on board with, no, I am fully on board with what I am saying here, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. Folks, that is a gigantic statement. I would, if I could see the nation of Israel redeemed, if I were to choose damnation for myself if it resulted in redemption for them, I can tell you right now, I would choose that. Folks, that is the spirit of Christ dwelling in because that is exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He embraced the curse that belonged to us so that we might be redeemed. 
And Paul is saying that same spirit that governed our Lord Jesus, that sent him to the cross, that caused the Father to send him to the cross, that caused the Holy Spirit to sustain the whole operation, dwells in me. Folks, that is not natural to us. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Look at their heritage. Are they walking in that heritage? No, they are not. And Paul's heart is broken. Of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ the Messiah came. Who Christ is over all and eternally, eternally blessed God. Christ is over all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The eternally blessed God. God, Jesus of Nazareth, is God come in the flesh and worthy of our worship. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Is this actually a surprise? No. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called, not Ishmael, Isaac. So that very first generation, the, the son of Abraham and Sarah was the second son of Abraham. Oh, let's help God out. Since Sarah said, uh, Abraham, obviously I am not going to be able to bear a child, so let, let's help God out. Here's my handmaid, and you have a child by her. And that was, in fact, a cultural custom in those days, and it would be considered Sarah's child. Yeah, right, okay, but that was the culture. And so let's help God out, and here this fellow Ishmael, who, by the way, is the father of the Ara Arabians. Ishmael is the founding father of the Arabs. But was that God's plan? No, it was not. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, Ishmael, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. Isaac was the result of God keeping his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 100 years old, and Sarah was 91. The whole point of that lengthening out this process was to make it clear to the whole human race, Isaac is a miracle. Isaac is a miracle. He is the result of our God's loving loyalty. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, Ishmael, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. Not everybody who is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is part of the seed. 
in my own generation, Paul is saying. I am, they're not. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the seed of, are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. Those who are, who have a welcome with God, who are the children of God. Why? Because God intervened, just as he intervened with Abraham and Sarah, and here is Isaac. We love the fact, what does I, the actual Hebrew name, by the way, kind of hurts our ears, Yitzhak. Yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> Yitzhak, Yitzhak, Yitzhak. His name means laughter. Because every time we hear his name, we are to join Abraham and Sarah in their joy before the God who keeps his promises. If you are authentically in God's kingdom, God is enjoying you. You are the child of promise. His child. His child of promise. The children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time... This is God speaking to Abraham a year before, a year before, not nine months, a year before Isaac is conceived and born. A year from now, Sarah will have a son. Abraham is 99, she's 90. And what does uh, Sarah do, by the way? She laughs. Okay, okay, you just gave your son a name, Sarah. We're going to call him laughter because I'm going to turn your laughter of scorn and unbelief into the laughter of joy. So we're going to name him Yitzhak as a constant reminder to you. And not only this, but when Rebekah, Isaac's wife, had also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children, for the children, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. God chooses, God chooses, God, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to leave it in God's hands to choose. According to the, the, the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not, a, not of works, but of him who calls. It is God who calls. Why am I in the kingdom? Why are you in the kingdom? Because God called you. You were dead. Not only in the guilt of your sin, you were dead to God. You could not hear his voice until he gave you ears to hear. And what did God say? The children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, his choice might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It's on God, and God is willing to take the responsibility. It was said to her, the older, Rebecca, the older shall serve the younger. She gave birth to twins. And typically, in the estate of the ancient world, the oldest son got two-thirds, the younger son got one-third. Okay, the older will serve the younger. I'm flipping that around. I am the God of this creation, not your cultural customs. 
The older will serve the younger. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob was the secondborn. And Jacob became the leader of the household. The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. By the way, in the Hebrew language, they have love and hate, love and hate, love and hate. Now they understood the comparative. But as far as the language, so when it says loved and hated, they understood that in a comparative sense. It didn't necessarily mean to be love and your hatred in the extreme sense or love in the... This is the one I have chosen. This is the one I'm favoring. I am not necessarily cursing this other one, but I'm giving him second place. That's just for your linguistic understanding. Okay. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God being unfair? He's talking about children who haven't even been born yet. And he's declaring who will be the blessed one and who will not. Is it based on their behavior? Obviously not. God chooses, God chooses, God. I mean, who, is, who has the wisdom? Who is truly righteous? Who is truly wise? Who is truly good? Is it not best to leave it up to him? And then we submit to one of the most shocking episodes in the entire narrative of the Old Testament is when Jacob returned with his two wives and their two servant ladies, all of whom had born children to him, and he's coming back to the promised land. And he is scared to death of his brother, Esau. Jacob is going to, excuse me, Esau is going to probably try to kill me. He is expecting that. And he sends his whole family out ahead of him in a big, in different parade segments, hoping that Esau's bloodlust will be poured out first on the servant wives and their sons, and then the other servant wife and their son, and then, uh, and instead, when Esau showed up, he runs up to Jacob and throws his arms around. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. He hasn't harmed anybody. He has completely humbled himself before God and God's purpose and God's ways. And Jacob is the most shocked man on the planet. He is fully expecting that the Esau who had threatened to kill him decades before was going to follow through, and God had taken that out of him. God showed himself strong on behalf of Jacob. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Let me tell you, what does God owe the angels and the human race? He owes us justice. 
He owes us the exercise of his holiness. And what, where will that bring us? Where will that take us? If God deals with us solely on the basis of his justice, it brings us all to the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. God cannot be unjust. He can be just or he can be merciful. What's your preference? I'll take mercy. I'll take mercy, 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 mercy. And what does it say? I will have mercy. Does not have him who will. Okay. Verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. I don't owe you mercy. Mercy is un deserved favor. That's the definition. What we deserve is justice. God is saying, I'm going to withhold justice. I'm going to give you mercy. And we all, all God's people said, Amen. I'll take that. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills or of him who runs, meaning us, neither me, Paul, nor you, my readers, but of God who shows mercy. He has the initiative. He takes the initiative, and we benefit from it. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Pharaoh, I'm going to use you and your rebellion against me to make a testimony for myself, not only here in Egypt, but all the surrounding nations are going to hear of it and draw back and yikes, yikes, yikes. You know what's going to happen 40 years later? Some spies are going to sneak into Jericho. And they're going to come in contact with this lady named Rahab. And Rahab is going to say, we have not been able to figure out why you people have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. We've been shaken in our sandals for 40 years after what your God did to the Egyptians. We know we have no chance and we're wondering what in the world is with those knucklehead Israelis wandering around in the What had happened 38 years before? <coughs> the 12 spies had gone in. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said to the people, hey, our God is well able to handle these people. The other 10 said, oh no, they're much too strong for our God to handle. They were blaspheming God, and they got to spend an extra 38 years in the wilderness. So that generation that rebelled against God from all those 20 years old and above could die off so their children could go in and do what they refused to do. And Rahab has said, we've been wondering what in the world is with those people. So did God succeed in making a name for himself? through? Yes, by the way, if you read Exodus, it's real interesting. The five first curses or plagues that fell on Egypt, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Number six through ten, the Lord 
hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It is not of him who wills or of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very reason I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. <clears throat> Therefore, he has mercy on whomever he wills. By the way, there were Egyptians that left with the Israelis. They're called in the book of Exodus, they're called the mixed multitude. There were Egyptians that embraced the message and went with them. I will have mercy on whom I will have. Uh, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills. He hardens. You will say, say to me, then, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? You don't have any place to stand to be critical of your Creator. Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Same lump of clay, he, they can make a pot that's a beautiful piece of art sitting on the windowsill with the other one something for use in the kitchen or the uh, restrooms. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. He was, this was not only account of the judgment that fell on Egypt, but the mercy he poured out on Israel. Which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called. Why is Paul... Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, the tip of the spear of the persecution of the church. Why is he in the kingdom at all? Because God called him. The biggest objector to God calling Saul of Tarsus into his kingdom was Saul of Tarsus. But God, Jesus face planted him in the dirt outside the gates of Damascus and called him. Called him. That is your testimony. There was a time in your life where God made the gospel clear. And it is a very, very, very simple message. And called you. He gave you light. He gave you life. He gave you understanding. And you discovered yourself to be in the kingdom. Not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And who is reading this letter? These Romans in the book of Acts, chapter 2, where it talks about the day of Pentecost, it says there were Romans there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, both Jews and Gentiles. Not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people. And her beloved who was not beloved. What is the story of Hosea? 
Hosea was the prophet whom God said, go marry that prostitute. And then she was unfaithful to him, and she left him, and he went out and restored her. And that most beautiful statement in the entire Old Testament is found there, where I, thus says the Lord, I love mercy more than sacrifice. I love mercy more than religiosity. I love mercy. Can we be grateful to have a God who loves mercy? What's the number one thing we need from the Creator God if we're going to stand before Him with a welcome? Mercy. And he, as He says also in Hosea, I will call them My people who were not My people and her beloved, as in His wife, Gomer, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not My people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Full members of the household. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, which is what exactly what Abraham was promised. If you can count the number of Grains of sand on the seashore, you can count the number of your descendants. If you can count the number of stars in the sky, you can count the number of your, sea, your descendants. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. Not every grain of sand, but the remnant. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. He will bring it to an abrupt end. Because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, meaning the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, had left us a sea, we should have become like Sodom. And we have been made like Gomorrah. We would have had no more right to God's mercy than Sodom and Gomorrah. Folks, that's a giant statement. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Not the righteousness of the law, not the righteousness of works, but the righteousness that is gifted to us when we transfer our faith, our trust from our own goodness, our own performance to work the work of Christ. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Who's the most, when you stepped into the kingdom, who was the most surprised person? You were. <laughs> but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. It's been frustration city. They try and try and try, and the harder they try, the behinder they get, and they have not succeeded. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They don't want to be understood to be children of mercy. 
what was the whole mindset of Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee? God should be so blessed to have me in his kingdom. Look at my super wonderful righteousness. And God's going, your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Get out of here. And he abandoned that by the help of Jesus, by the work of Jesus. He was pulled away from that tar baby. He was pulled away from that format to simple faith in the work of the Redeemer. They did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumble at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, but the very thing that offends you is the one who is your deliverer. And whoever believes on him, that stumbling stone, that rock of offense, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Well, folks, that's an upside-down way of saying made glad and proud. Not proud of ourselves, but proud of our Redeemer. That's why worship is us complimenting and speaking good things about our God who redeemed us. Now we come to the table. And I'm going to ask Mr. Mahalik. Close. 